0: Good morning. And welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is Sunday, February 5th. Welcome to all those who are joining us in person and those who are joining us online. Our scripture today comes from John 5 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat, mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And, when the, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who has healed. The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd um, that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Blessed is the word. I remember this happening... um, it was during, uh, I think, a county or a district band event where the, uh, the, the yeah, whenever we did district or, or county bands or anything like that, they would always bring in a guest conductor from some college or somewhere to come in and lead us instead of one of our, te- one of our regular teachers doing it, anyway. So he came in and he did this exercise with us and then during the performance and my band teacher loved it so much. Uh, Mr. K, that's what he was. Mr. K would have us do it um, all the time during our regular concerts. And it was simply this, we would play a very simple song like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, you know, the kind of song that every person knows. And he said, you know, think about it, how perfect we expect our kids to be. You know, if your kid does well in school and gets a 95%, they get an A. And that's, you know, considered what is it? A is excellent, right? A supposedly excellent, B good, C is, huh? Average, D is below average, and F is failing, give or take depending on the school and all that. You know, A is, is excellent you know and then and then he would show by having us play this song and would show what a passing grade is in music so we would play something along the lines of 75% of the song correct it sounds terrible by the way when 25% of the notes are wrong it's terrible and then he would even show what, like a 98%, so an almost perfect score would be, and it would be like the one tuba player at the end hitting the wrong note. And how in music there is just simply a different standard of perfection. Now, arguably, you know, you can have different groups, different, you know, orchestral or, or band groups, wind ensemble groups play these songs and it'd still be vastly different. You could have a junior high band who plays every note perfectly. And then you could have professionals play the exact same song with every note perfectly, but still sound like 30 times better because they are also 30 times better at their instruments. I mean, it just comes with, you know, I can tell you as as a former trumpet player who wishes he could get back into it at times, you know, my, my 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 ability to make a note and to make it sound good was vastly different by the end of my time. You know, it was just that much better. We all have different levels of perfection that we all expected to keep. You know, and, and you know, in different areas of our lives, it's different. You know, if you know, if I'm, if I'm cooking food, if I'm cooking chicken, I want my chicken to be fully cooked 100% of the time. I, want, I don't need a passing grade on my cooking chicken. I need perfect. But, you know, do I want to be a good driver? Yes. But let's face it, you know... Not everyone here can, you know, if we consider, you know, average, not everyone here can be above average, right? I mean, that, that literally cannot work if everybody is above average because then it wouldn't be the average, right? Unless you got one really terrible person who's really dragging it down. But I'm okay with knowing that I am a good driver probably 90% of the time. I can accept 90%, which was a B in high school. It's good. I'll give myself that. My wife may argue with that assessment. Yeah, there's, there's different, I'm, I'm, I'm accepting that you know, I'm not perfect in every area of my life. There's some areas I'm really good at, and I probably get A's, and there's some areas I might get an F or two in. One of them was Spanish. My parents were so happy when I got a D because I didn't have to take it for another semester. I, I was really bad at Spanish. It really comes down to well, okay, sorry. We we all accept a little wiggle in our lives, accepting that none of us can be perfect on all things at all times. And that certainly applies to, to how we live our faith. None of us are perfect. I mean Jesus is the exception. But as far as I'm aware, there's no one else who has been able to do that. Even when we look at the great heroes of our history, the great religious heroes or whatnot, we we very quickly, after scratching the surface, discover, you know, this guy was a philanderer, or that person had anger issues and would strike out at people, or this person, you know, believed something and taught something that, that morally is questionable. No one is perfect. Yet, when it often comes to faith, we think we can be perfect, or at least more perfect than others. At least some people do. And I know you've all encountered those people who think they've got the answer, right? At least once in your life, you've met someone who has all the answers, who thinks they've got their faith perfectly worked out. That's why i like this story now now this story is is a change we had been you know for the last four weeks we've had jesus encountering the institutions now we have jesus encountering the holy days and there's going to be four holy days just as there were four institutions and the sabbath is the most basic one the sabbath happens once a week on the seventh day Technically it's Saturday, but we would say Sunday because we're Christians Um, But anyway, that doesn't matter So Imagine for a moment, and that's why I had the kids work out the story because once you really start thinking about it, you realize how crazy it is For 38 years this man is lying there beside the pool waiting for it to bubble so that he can get in. Now, apparently, it bubbles fairly often. I don't know how often. I don't know if it's like a daily occurrence or happens a couple times a week or what. But he's waiting there patiently every single day for it to bubble, with the hope that somebody will come and help him into the pool. But no one ever does. And by the time it bubbles and he can get himself over to the edge of the pool, someone else has already gotten in. Thirty eight years. Imagine that. That is no small chunk of change when it comes to a lifespan. I mean, even if in, in this day, you know, if you live to be, you know, in your thirties, you're probably gonna make it to your seventies, even eighties. Thirty eight years. That's more than half of your life. Lying there waiting. Every single day. Not once, not once does it seem that any of those Levites or those priests or any of those other God fearing Jews who walked by him every single day stopped to ask him if he needed a hand. I know I'm not perfect, I know I've done this myself. I know by face the people I pass on my various drives between here and home, who stand by the road every single day. I'm not perfect. Now, if I'm on top of my game, I actually keep snacks in the car and I usually have snacks with me because I never carry cash because I'm a millennial and we millennials are allergic to cash. We just don't carry it. (laughs) If I carried anything more than my phone, I'd be doomed. I'd lose it. Anyway, I'm not that different than them. None of us are. He's there for 38 years. And then along comes Jesus. Now, this is, this is almost a Markean story, like something Mark would tell. Because this is how Mark likes to tell a story. There's this problem. Jesus rises from the mist, comes over, solves the problem, and then disappears. That's how Mark likes to tell his stories. But it's almost like that. He's lying there, and Jesus appears and goes, why are you waiting? What are you doing? And the guy tells him. Now, we never really know exactly Jesus' thought here. It doesn't say. He doesn't say, oh, I'm going to, you know... I'm going to heal you because of X, Y, and Z. Now later he says, stop sinning. And so we can assume that the man had done something in his life and he was telling him to repent. But he doesn't really say why he's doing it now. And I have this theory. Beyond anything else, for 38 years, he had faith that he could get into that pool, which apparently has been blessed by God, and he will be healed. So it's comparable to like the woman who, who comes up and touches the robe of Jesus. Jesus. You know, trying to sneak in the hemorrhagic woman who goes in and touches his robe because she believes it will heal him. And it, it does heal her. This man, in the same way, believes this, this pool blessed by God will heal him. He just has to get there. He just does not have the strength to do it himself. And so Jesus heals him and then disappears. Well, tells him to take up his mat and then disappears. Now, I was trying to think of a great comparison for this, and I, I can't think of exactly one. But it would be kind of like what happens next, as if one of those, it's mostly men, one of those men who, who I pass every single day when I take certain routes here in, between here and home, if I, I don't know, Saw them moving into an apartment near my house, or saw them getting a car, or saw them working at some local grocery or other place, and then getting mad at them for doing so. Does that not sound insane to you? (laughs) Okay, I got at least one yet. Thank you, Glenn. It sounds insane. Now, why? Why why were they so upset? Now, there's a couple things here. I mean, there are layers here that don't exist in our world. And the first is, it is the Sabbath. Now, there were a lot of rules for what it meant to take the day of Sabbath, like, to, to celebrate it correctly. Now now we think of the day of Sabbath as a day of rest. you know, you don't do any work. And that is true, you weren't supposed to do any work. You had kind of a limited range that you were allowed to go to. Uh, If you go home and check out your oven, you may notice in your oven's uh, manual, especially if you've got an oven that's like 1990s and after, you know, anything electronic. It may even have a Sabbath setting where you know, according to the Sabbath rules, you can take the food and put it into the oven. You just can't light it because lighting the oven is technically work. So you have it set up the day before so the oven will kick on at a certain time for you. All you gotta do is take the food out of the fridge and stick it in the oven. Yeah. It made sense back in one day. And if you think about it, it is one of the most amazing gifts it takes a lot of work don't get me wrong it's got to take a lot of work anyone here who has ever lived a life which is all of you anyone here who especially has ever lived with kids or a large family around knows that there's always a fair amount of work that has to happen right i mean i'm in home with a five and a, a five year old and a six month old and, you know, I, I thankfully don't have kids who are involved in too many extracurricular activities. I can't believe my five-year-old's already involved with extracurricular activities, but anyway. But, you know, there's always some game they gotta go to. I mean, even, even if you didn't have anything that day, there's always laundry, there's always dishes, there's always the lawn, there's always cleaning up after you, do, you have to do. There are always diapers that have to be changed. You know, the list would just go on and on and on. How are you going to get caught up on making sure all the bills are paid, all that paperwork, you know, making sure that this form or that form is filled out for health insurance or, you know, dental or I. It just, there's always something that has to be done. And the stairs have not been swept in two months, and it's obvious that you need to run the vacuum over them, but you just can't get the energy to do it. So you'll wait till tomorrow and tomorrow, uh, I may be a little tired. (laughs) So in order to really do a Sabbath means you got to spend the days ahead preparing for the day you're not doing anything. So the only things you are doing that day are the bare minimums that you have to do. Still have to change the kids' diapers. That's not an option. Apparently, kids do not want to be left in dirty diapers all day. So I'm told. If you've got a dog or a cat at home, they still need to be fed, the dog still needs to be walked. Any, you know, any cattle or or horses, sheep, whatnot, they still have to be taken care of too. However, don't be doing the lawn. Don't be, you know, cleaning the kitchen. Don't be doing any more work than you absolutely have to. The idea is you should be spending the day playing with your family, sitting around and talking. I, I'm not sure if board games count as work or not. It depends on the board game. I think technically Scrabble is work. This is my theory. Scrabble is work. Monopoly is borderline and skippo is okay. Oh, but that's cards and whatever. So you spend all week preparing for a day off, but you really get a day off. And I don't know about you, but the idea of actually having an actual Sabbath is amazing. A day when you're truly off, where you don't have any extra responsibilities beyond spending time with just your family, where no one bugs you. Not always the case. Can't always happen, right? Well, back in those days, of course, it was held up a lot more rigidly. And of course, it's a lot easier to hold up when everybody around you is doing it, right? You know, you don't have to worry about somebody, you know, you know, expecting you to come in and pay a bill on the Sabbath if everybody is closed for Sabbath. You know, you don't have to worry about your kids or your grandkids or your nephews or nieces going to a soccer game on the Sabbath if everybody is taking Sabbath, right? It's a lot easier to take everything off when everybody is doing the same thing. And while I don't fully agree with the idea of blue laws, which were the laws that we used to have that made everything closed on Sundays, at the same time, I'm kind of for them. (laughs) Just for that, because we really are a society that does not stop moving. But I'm getting off topic, I'm getting off topic. Anyway. So these people who were so sure of things, you know, they were so perfect and following all their rules, see this man that they have seen for 38 years lying on the ground there waiting for somebody to help him into the water. They see him carrying his mat. Now carrying your mat, of course, broke the Sabbath rules. You are doing, even if it's it's the lightest of manual labors, I don't know if you've ever carried a mat. Like, I'm I'm thinking basically here, think heavy beach towel, you know, those really thick woven ones or woven ones. You know, it's not terrible uh, by any means. Yeah, it's heavier than say a yoga mat, but you know, maybe that, I can't even think of anything. It's like carrying a bag of groceries. They see him carrying it and they, are mad they are ballistic because he is breaking the sabbath rules never mind they I completely ignore that this man is walking I don't know about you I think that would be the biggest part of the miracle right he is walking this man who has laid there for 38 years is walking for the first time but it doesn't fit their picture of what they expect a good person to be doing. This man who has shown such loyalty, such faith in God, that for 38 years he lay by the side of the pool waiting to go in it. And now he is breaking one of the commandments by not keeping the Sabbath. And they get really upset with him. And they go and say, why are you doing this? And he says, well, this, this guy, he was like out of the mist. He appeared. And he told me to pick up my mat and walk. And I did. And then he disappeared. I don't know who he is. I think this is a pretty obvious answer. You don't need to struggle with this at all. But obviously, who here is actually following the law, though? You know, these, these, these temple elite, these religious elite, you know, they would have been, we don't know, they're Pharisees, they're Levites, they're, they're Sadducees, they're the temple people. You know, they're just the holier than now. You know, they, they are following the black and white letters of the law. And by doing so, I have a... Uh, and, and then here's my question. By following that law, if it's wrong to help to pick up something and move it on the Sabbath, do you think they would have picked him up and helped him move into the water if it had bubbled on the Sabbath. It would have been work. Not to mention, they probably wouldn't have wanted to touch him, especially if they were any of the temple group, because that would have made them unclean, and they shouldn't touch anyone who has any kind of problems with their bodies. They would have left him there. But Jesus comes and fixes him. They might be right by the absolute letter of the law, and even then, it's questionable because, mind you, the Sabbath is listed in, like, There's like this much information and what it means to not work on the Sabbath. And then there's absolute books written on how to define what work is. You know, it's kind of like a lot of things in our lives, you know. It seems really simple and a small thing until you start questioning, you know, what is, I mean, think about it, what is work? What may be work for you may not be work for somebody else. So they have to sit there and define it for everybody. So yeah, Jesus probably worked. He healed the man. He made him right. The man worked. Sure, he picked up his mat. But though they may have been wrong, according to the black and white letters that these people were reading, which one was righteous? Which one did the right thing? Which one did the good thing? Now, the reason this story really sticks out is it is a turning point for Jesus's career in the book of John now the book of John is different than the other three Gospels the other three Gospels Jesus is hanging out up here in Galilee you know especially up in Capernaum and and all around the sea and and then he travels down and ends in Jerusalem that that's Matthew Mark Luke they're all up here John is a little different John he starts in Jerusalem you know, he starts in Jordan a little bit, and then he goes into Jerusalem. And so all of this story is taking place. Every story up through now, other than, other than him being at the Jordan, is him in Jerusalem. And when he, tells this, when he tells this man to stand up and walk, it begins a chain reaction. If you read the rest of the chapter 5... Um, This is the kind of thing where I did all of my reading this week and then I was so sick on Friday I never wrote it all down and I wish I had, but I was so sick on Friday I never did. But if you read the rest, and I highly recommend you do, just not right now, you'll begin to see that this is the breaking point in which the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the temple elite all start to grumble about this man named Jesus. This is the beginning of the breaking where Jesus is going to start being pushed out of the establishment. Now, he was always kind of on the edge. But you'll remember there was Nicodemus who, who kind of recognized Jesus was one of him. He was another teacher like him. Now you're going to see this group of people who say, yeah, you know what, you never really one of us. And they, you all need, you need to, you know, you need to be quiet. So over this next chapter, in the next few ones, Jesus will... Become under increasing pressure from the religious elite to be quiet, to not teach, to not keep saying these things. And they will start to become more and more violent until just before the story of Lazarus. We'll talk more about why Lazarus is so important in here. Now, before Jesus had attacked and reformed, where the four institutions where they should be shaped. And he didn't make any friends doing that, mind you. But now he's attacking the holidays. He's reshaping them, reforming them. He is, he's doing something a little more public. You know, he wasn't just at someone's party. He wasn't talking to, to Nicodemus. He wasn't, you know, just hanging out with some woman at a well. He's doing this in the public, around their holy days, pushing them to reconsider what these holy days mean, pushing them to reconsider what it means to follow the law. And this will begin the journey of him going to the cross. He will tell a man to pick up his mat and go and it will lead to him picking up his cross. It will lead from a man waiting to enter the waters to be healed, to us really understanding that this man is the living waters from which we all are healed. we'll never be as perfect as Jesus. You know, we may never be at 100% in anything. Maybe a few tests. I was 105% in health, but that was easy to get. We may never be perfect in most parts of our lives. But don't let the few times we think we are the few times where we think we've got everything figured out, the few times that we think that we are perfect, don't let them blind you from what you need to do, from who you need to be, from how you need to act. Don't be like those temple elite, those religious elite, who thought they had it all figured out but couldn't see this man lying on the ground in front of them and knowing that he needed help. I can't help but wonder if one of the reasons they're so angry is because you know how people are when something gets proven to their faces, right? You're, only, you're always the angriest when what you knew was right but didn't do and then someone did for you, right? Don't let perfection get in way of righteousness because they aren't the same thing. Don't ever let righteousness take second chair. Thanks. There is, and I, I have yet to watch it, I really want to, but maybe you've seen the commercials for it. It's called The Chosen, and it's, it's a retelling of the Jesus story. And there's a moment in it that always pops up in the commercial where, where one of the disciples is saying, but Jesus, I don't feel any different. And Jesus is like, you don't need to feel any different to do different. Jesus is always going to challenge us the challenge the way we think, the challenge the way we do things. He's going to be doing that a lot to the people in these next few chapters. Challenging the things they hold dearest to themselves, the way, way it would be if someone came in here to challenge us on how we do our Sundays, on how we do Christmas, on how we do Easter, on how we do Thanksgiving, on our are things that we hold closest to ourselves. Jesus is going to challenge us on every one. You know what? We're probably doing better than a lot of people did back then that he was challenging. Don't get me wrong. I know that I am, I am sitting among, as Paul would say, the saints. You really are. But it doesn't mean we don't need to be challenged every single day by Jesus. May you go out today and be challenged. May you also go out and find a time of Sabbath when you can just be with God. I think both are really important. Go out and be challenged. Go out and rest. Amen.